So it's seven metres out. Australia needs to try to win the game. Cobain takes the line out. Australia trying to drive ahead. Regan again. And Larkham. Kefu. Here we are back with another episode of the Running Rugby Podcast. Just myself and Leo joining us today. Unfortunately, Toby had a few other bits to see too, but the Wallabies, Leo, 33 to 30. They take the series two to one in Suncorp. Suncorp Fortress, it continues. That's probably not even the biggest storyline in this game. Talk to me how you were feeling four minutes into this game after a big Corabiti hit. When you're you're excited, you're like, yes, that's a great start off the kickoff. And well, that's they, it. That's it. And We're then excited. they go back to the TMO, and you're like, what? Well, yeah, what's going on? Like this hit looked clean. It it was exactly what we needed to try and rest some momentum back after that first penalty. Jalonch uh, catch, Jalonch uh, receiving the kickoff and then spilling it in the contact. Marika nailed him. Had him lined up, timed it really well, made good contact, shoulder to shoulder. Um, the number eight looked a bit sort of surprised and oh, I've spilled the ball and then throws his hands to his face and then moments later we're on the TMO business with the three on-field refs having a bit of a conference and I mean I'm, I'm surprised I've got a voice today because I was screaming at the TV that this was just ridiculous like the, the entire stadium as well we're losing it, and and Hooper made sure he let Bock know later in the game. You got thirty-two saying thousand people who don't agree with that um, to red card Marika, and then we've just found out today in judiciary review they haven't penalised him. They said that shouldn't have been a red card, and he's he's now available to play in the next match. So obviously, from the first like live looking at it, I didn't think that it was a card at all. I didn't think it was a penalty. I was sitting in the stands. I was blowing up with the rest of the fans absolutely about this. Um, even on replay, did you think there was... Did it deserve a penalty? Did it deserve a card? Was it yellow? Was it red? Or from your, from watching it there? Like, obviously, your gut reaction first off was like, that's not a card. It was... Yeah, that's right. So the contact and, and from the angles we got to review... Uh, if for anyone who missed it, like you get these slightly angled down contacts because the cameras are up on a on a mezzanine level or up some elevation, so you don't really get to see the height or if, if Marika is driving up slightly. But the contact looked solid, and the reaction from Jalanch was that his head rolled forward toward Marika, mm. suggesting you've hit him below, you know, hit him in the chest, and the recoil is that your head drops. So, and this is what the judiciary found that um, on review, any contact with the head or neck was incidental, um, as in, you know, it came after the initial shoulder-to-shoulder contact. And, and that's how I felt. Like, I, I, don't, I wasn't convinced that there was anything high. The videos, to me, weren't, um, weren't conclusive. And like with everything, like, they, they try and play a conservative line, but it's usually... You know, the on-field call was play on, nothing in it. And then all of a sudden they have got 
video evidence which isn't conclusive and they change their call and to change it into a red it's just like that that had the potential as we've seen a few times in recent years to completely ruin a test match an important test match um and and make a contest between two teams that was so even for two games already into a lopsided affair that no one was going to enjoy and thankfully the wallabies um didn't let that happen So I think, I think the refs are lucky that Australia won in the end because if they had lost, there would be a lot more call on Ben O'Keefe and Brendan Pickerel seem to be the two biggest voices. The biggest problem I had was watching Ben O'Keefe ref the Super Rugby Aotearoa finals this year between the Chiefs and the Crusaders. And there were multiple high shots, multiple tackles that raised up, multiple um, late shoulder charges. And he did everything he could not to give cards. And it almost seemed borderline sort of inappropriate how he was refing it. But he did the same thing for everyone. And he went, and I went, okay, he's just got wanting to not influence this game to any huge extent. So he's going to do what he can to drop down and remediate things just to penalties as much as he can. And that's what I was looking for in this game, that if something like this happened, that he would drop down and try and not to affect this game. And I know it shouldn't make a difference four minutes in, but the fact that then there were high tackles on the other side that he doesn't do later on this game, like how yeah. how did you rate his refing performance overall? I was, it, I'd have to section it off. So that that call was an absolute injustice to Marika, who I feel terribly for, has been probably our best player in two games for just the energy and the effort he's put in. Um, he's, he's created momentum from when we've been well and truly under the pump um, to lose him on that decision is disgusting. So I was livid. Um, and that, that's going to, that's going to bias my view of, of O'Keefe. But I, in coming into this match, I was sort of, I was happy once I knew it was him. Cause I was like, well, okay, we're not playing a New Zealand team. So he can't just be influenced by them as he always seems to be. Um, he is, he is usually, a decent ref, and and like you said, he can he can temper the calls he makes to suit the situation somewhat. If he, if he's showed that he can do that, like that's a that's a good thing because you get the the feel, the uh, the energy of the game and the contest, and and you try not to be too much of an influence to the contest. Um, but it's just inconsistency. Like if if at least you applied the same process, the TMO interjection. For what was it, the forearm uh, from um, Kula into Tate on his try? So um, the French halfback's thrown a yeah. thrown an elbow and a forearm up into Tate's throat as he's gone over the top of him to score their first try. Like, what's going on? We, we're not going to review this. It's clearly like striking a player, and it, it would at very least be a penalty turn it around. They would have disallowed a try if they reviewed that and applied the mm. same process. Wouldn't they? To be honest, I went. I initially thought the same. I went back and looked at it, and I don't think. I think the thing that saved. Well, I think you're right. I think they probably should have looked at it. The thing that probably wouldn't have switched it around in my head is that he didn't actually move his arm away from his body. He sort of had his arm sort of up on his body, and he's not. You can still get in trouble for leading with the elbow, though. I think you can, but I think it's those people where we've seen like um, Karevi and like. Geordie Barrett a few years ago is when they actually chuck an arm forward into someone's as a bump, neck. As a bumper. Yeah. 
yeah. so having it sort of embracing yourself with it on your chest it may not have turned around but i think you're right i think they should have looked at it if they're if they're going to be stringent on these things they should be looking at that yeah. sort of and thing. if they'd made the same level of misjudgment as they did for marika it would have at least been a penalty if not a yellow or something Maybe. like that's because they they didn't have clear evidence that marika had contacted the head I don't know if they really were just caught up in the fact that Jean just threw his hands up to his face five seconds after he realised he dropped a ball. Mm. Um, but, again, just objectively, there wasn't the, the evidence there for that, so it shouldn't have been. It should have just rolled with the on-field decision, I think, but at worst, at worst, it's you've hit, the, you've, you've driven up and you've gone shoulder to shoulder and then you've kind of finished into his neck um, yeah. and that would mitigate it down to a yellow and you'd be like, right, we're not happy, but you know, at least he didn't wreck the game. A red is just wrong. Well, that's, that's been, yeah, that's, that's been born that's out. That seemed to be, yeah. So, so anyway, that we're only four minutes into this game and we're just losing it and, and blowing up, yeah, and blowing up. And and I guess in the past, the Wallabies haven't been able to recover their their sort of just um, just recover mentally from those moments. They've been. Uh, then fired up and they've gotten a bit loose and then maybe they've stayed in the contest physically for a bit, but ultimately the energy ebbs. And mm. with, with the current rules, the international rules, we don't have this 20-minute send-off and replace with a different player like we're used to from this year's Super Rugby. So we are down to 14 guys for 75 minutes and it's a long time to play with 14 men, many of whom are backing up after playing two games yeah. within 10 days or whatever the turnaround's been. So. Yeah. It's a huge ask, and obviously it, it stayed very close. We had three or four lead changes through the game, um, and the Wallabies just tempered their their tempered their their tactics a bit. They didn't go too wide too early. They got back into more of a forward phases grind, um, which I actually really like that we do a little bit more of that before we use that as a platform to go wide. And we just looked in control. And, this, again, the stats show possession, territory, errors, penalties. Mm. It's all – we, we look like a team that's in control. The metres aren't too many. The line breaks aren't too many. But, um, you know, you can accept that when you're down to 14 men and you've got to be a bit more conservative. Um, you just got to wear the, the opposition down, keep the ball out of their hands and keep yourself in the game. Who are your standouts from the Wallabies then for this game? For this game specifically um, – I mean, it's it's a lot of the same people we've talked about already in this series. So Hooper was was very good again. He got more vocal in in terms of his leadership. He was in the refs' ear. He was um, pressing for. Well, I'm still surprised we didn't get a yellow card to the French at any point. But um, he was he was more pressing yeah. that that side of the Wallabies' argument, saying, "Look, we're in control here and they're infringing." And blah blah, you know, trying to trying to just put the idea in the refs' mind that the French were deliberately slowing things down. That, that was, I think, helpful to the ruck where we had to commit a few more people each ruck just to make sure that we secured the ball. But we actually received penalties for the French rolling north-south, getting in our way, obstructing the halfback. They actually got pulled up for that and they had to change what they were doing, which is how it should work. So that, that's, that's Hooper. Individual effort, obviously, as well. Ran an amazing line to make that line break uh, and serve the ball up to, to Tate to score the first try. Um, yeah, look, he's he's played really well. He's he's led from the front. Uh, he's certainly earned his place and and earned the right to be sort of first pick in this side at the moment. Um, I was really happy with Tate starting. Brought a heap of energy. 
Um, you know, we, we can say these box kicks aren't as good as Nick White or Jake Gordon, but I really like the style of game we play with him, which is just just very quick ball. Just get to the ruck, deliver it again. Look look a bit dangerous around the fringes, yeah. draw a player always in. Always be looking to snipe a little bit and just doing yeah. that little pop off his shoulder that he seems to like to do. That seems to work really well. Yeah. He's really just heads up. He's looking at what's in front and he's taking meters where he can get them um, and still delivering great ball out to Noah. And then Noah is the guy who, again, I'd, I'd um, like to probably finish on. The guy has been absolutely clutch in the kicking this series. He's missed so few. And only in this third game, I think, did we see both sides miss miss a penalty here and there. And that's, you know, yeah, relatively on straightforward. Side, yeah. Yeah. Relatively straightforward shots too for both. So that's that's got to be a bit of pressure and a bit of fatigue mm-hmm. and things coming in them. But um Noah got the final kick that we needed. Um he put that ball onto Hooper. He yeah. took an intercept for the second try, which was you know, that, that was the sort of situation where we were going to be outnumbered. If that ball got out into the sort of mid to outside backs of the French, we were in a bit of trouble. And he's, because because of the way it played out, was um, was off the line out, I think, and Barlow came through and yeah. took contact and he offloaded, which meant we didn't have any offside yet. And so Noah would have been fl- sort of floating up, pressing a bit already. And he's just, he's just watching the halfback. He's looking at where his opposition number is and he's just drifted into that line and, and snagged it and run away for 40 metres or something with, with an intercept try. That's the sort of vision and, and um, I suppose, timing. You, you really you need moments like that in a game where you're going to play 14 men for 75 minutes. Um, I really like that he was there and, and took a shot because I think that's a risk you'd be happy to take. If he, if he missed it and it went out wide, we were going to be outnumbered and I reckon I would have forgiven him for having a go because it was worth risking it all at that point and the reward was massive. Absolutely. I, and I think these last two games have definitely been Noah's coming out party here. Like, is just changing from being a stand and deliver five-eighths, trying not to make errors, to now he's trying to take on the line a little bit more. He's taking a few more chances and he's showing a little bit of that explosiveness that everyone was so hyped about him um, coming out of schoolboys and he was showing glimpses at, at times for the Brumbies as well. And we're finally starting to see that sort of translate onto the international arena as well. So very excited to see that. Other names that um, I would point out as well would be Darcy Swain having his first start here. He just seems to take a step up. Like I was a bit unsure about how he'd go at Wallabies level. I was unsure if he was dominating enough at super level to make the step up, but he obviously takes that passion that he plays for and uses it and was really effective um, on the field here. It was, seemed to be absolutely everywhere. as an absolute menace in lineouts, And I think he's, he's going to have a long career. And we keep saying like BPA every year, but I don't know what we're going to do now if he leaves. Like, So he's available for the rest of the year, we think. Yeah. He's, he's, he's yeah, not he's, going anywhere he's, until this season's over, but that's it. you're right. We, we need to be... Developing we, someone hot on his heels. Here and think of like, are, are we going to be able to get him back for the World Cup? Because we had, for the first two games, we had Nos Lonigan on the bench, who's good and dynamic around the field, but is still very inexperienced and probably set piece does suffer a little bit with him in terms of scrummaging, especially. Ulac gets the 
um, sort of five-minute cameo right at the end of this game. But we've never been... That's a guy that didn't even make the wall of his squad and then somehow he's got promoted in, Parachuted in 23 um, yeah. for this game. So, I mean, it's, it's a bit disappointing that because I don't think he's going to be a long-term pro- prospect at this stage. I don't think that he has the consistency... And we haven't got to see Kaitou, and then Falau Fang is not even in the squad. So yeah, and the only other ones floating around, I think, was Conor McInerney, um, yeah. and then also Parecki, who's been injured. So, I mean, the, the stocks are few and far between. The experience within the stocks we can choose from is limited. Um, you know, Ulysi and Falau Fanger are the next two most experienced guys, and Ulysi's just never really delivered on that potential. He's obviously a big frame, fairly aggressive, but he's, um, he's imprecise. His line-out throwing isn't great, and I don't know that he's really um, carrying his share of the load around the field. Um, Falau Fanger's not even been in, not even had a look in. I mean, he's so dominant for the, for the Brumbies off the, their line-outs, obviously holds up their scrum between a couple of test props. You'd think that, I mean, he's the obvious choice. We should. He be must have done something. He must have done something, or he has. Just he, yeah, he must have called Rennie, Rennie something just... really rude. Because yeah, he, he he to me he's the one you've got to plug in. And you look, you, he's not he's not of the same size um, as these other test hookers, which which isn't ideal. But it's a model we can. I feel like we can work with. We're a fairly dynamic mm. um, sort of um, sort of spread team anyway. Um, We've got some big bodies, certainly in, in the props in the second row, if we can leverage those guys. And, you know, again, guys like Valentini, Harry Wilson, like you can afford to have another another slightly lighter guy as long as his technique's good and he's not going to collapse on you like, unfortunately, Noss Lonigan did in game two. Um, I think we should be probably putting, you know, ex- accepting that that's, you know, the only slight we've got on Falau Fainga, yeah. really. So yeah. that, that's where I'd have to go because BPA... Look, I think he's improved his fitness. He he certainly looks slightly, sort of like he's carrying slightly less weight on his front. He's looking not not lean by any means, but but athletic for That's his it. for his frame. And Whereas yeah, before, I think he looked a bit as well. Like yeah, I think he looked heavy maybe a year ago, and and now he just he's just shed. He might only be a few kilos, but he just looks more athletic, and he's proven that he can that he can play this seventy five minutes game three of a series. He played so much of mm. um huge huge loss um after this year if we don't find someone to fill the void for sure yeah but I, I guess in in the grand scheme of things i'm a lot happier with how our forward pack is looking at the moment we seem to have depth at multiple positions and we have multiple players that can come on and make an impact as well we had a, a two-thirds of a new sort of back row in this game with swinton and Nisarani, and they both stood up um swinton didn't do any of his usual sort of things to jeopardize the game or anything there. So, and then you have Valentini and Wilson waiting in the wings there as well. So plus that, plus sort of our second rows at the moment, we're, we're definitely looking more promising. Absolutely. We didn't get to see a huge amount of Paisami and Iki Tao in attack for this game, mainly I think because they obviously jeopardized with the loss of um, Korobidi off the side. Dalgunu got injured early, hopefully, Nothing serious, but holding his sort of arm, whether it's wrist or shoulder, we're not too sure yet whether that's going to hold him out of the rugby championship as well. Um, but Hodge made a successful return from injury as well. Going to the French side, 
Like, I think there's a few players that I think, even though Jalonch obviously had that sort of indiscretion, which doesn't look great on his sort of um, highlight reel from this series, I think overall he's been a positive force for the French there. Um, and then you put him on with Cameron Wokey as well at seven there, who's just a huge human and used his long levers to get that try for them in this game as well. Um, other players that, Leo, you want to highlight from the French that, that we should look out for next time we um, come up against them, which probably might be the World Cup in two years. Yeah, that's, I guess that'd be the first one, unless there's some sort of um, Northern Hemisphere tour by the end of next year and we, yeah. we get the chance to, to visit the French again. I'm, if I'm the Wallabies schedulers, I think I'd be looking for that game because these guys are definitely going to be featuring in at least the semis, you would expect. Um, yeah, so same, uh, Wokey's, Wokey's reach over the top, that was just smart. Like He, he knows that players are going to go low and just try and hold him back. He's got the... The, the length in his in his arms to to stretch out and get the ball down over the top regardless so smart move uh Jelanche, look if he if he can continue acting like this he's uh he's pretty effective to get a get an advantage for the french but i i wouldn't advise um throwing your hands on your face when you get legitimately tackled as a as a technique because that's gonna that's just he's just gonna be suspect next time he pulls a shenanigan like that that's disappointing like I can't see any reason why he needed to throw his hands on his face. Like if he'd been frustrated, it would have been more hands at the face, like, ah, like really aggravated himself. But that was a clear, like, oh, my face. Um, And just, you know, that's, that's just poor form. I think it's been covered particularly by Rennie. Like we don't want to see players doing that because they think they get the rewards from the ref. Um, And he's a good enough player that he doesn't need to have that against him like he's, he's played well he's earned his uh, place there in the back row in, in amongst some good competition so I don't want to see any more of that it's it's just it's disappointing really um, Barlow played massive minutes in this series was always effective their lineouts were pretty solid we, we had maybe maybe played slightly above our grade um, spoiling lineouts um, certainly at the end of this game three getting Darcy through the middle there to spoil them all. Like, that was critical. That sealed the game. Um, the French have been probably a bit better than that on average through the series, and a lot of that's Barlow. He's, he's been a solid ball runner, solid in the set piece. Um, they probably just need to settle who the front row around him is. Uh, and then I think they were missing Dante in this game. Um, that that presence in the midfield. Definitely, making yeah. Big, making big hits and just the amount of turnover ball or at least pressure in the ruck because when when we were going wide and he was involved in the tackle or the first man on on the ruck for the French we looked very desperate and and often we didn't retain the ball in those situations so that's a that's a feature of the game um you know you really want your centers and your wingers to have some presence over the ball because they do often get you know a, a, there's the the men in the tackle and then a one on one or a one on no one if you can get hands on the ball it can be so effective out wide to shut down what otherwise could be just a rolling um, counter-attack. Uh, so they missed him. Bunsant and Barassi were all right in the centres. I, I think this back one as a whole looks slightly less dynamic. Um, yeah. and, and they were missing a couple of people. They didn't see a lot of Teddy Thomas. They didn't get the ball out to him. Again, Australian's defence, we, we were trying to shut that down early because we knew if they got wide edge to edge, we were going to get stretched and we were going to be in trouble. So we did that well. And... I mean, just to finish with Jaminet, like we talk about um, 
Noah being clutch himself, yeah. kicking. Yeah, like, I mean, he was so solid for them. He, in these close games where penalties uh, were were critical, he he capitalised for them every time, just about. Um, and he certainly didn't let them down. I think he might have dropped one box kick, but we definitely did too. Banks dropped at least one. So, um, again, very few knocks against him. He, he looks very solid at the back there. Mm. Um, big, tall, athletic guys. Interesting, like I don't think we saw as much of the attack uh, out of the French all-series, really. Like the Wallabies did well to maintain a dominance of possession, a dominance of field position, didn't give the French a lot of minutes inside the 22 to spread the ball from set piece, to spread the ball through through the back line. Um, and that's what made me nervous in games one and two, um, that, that they felt slippery, they felt deceptive, and we just... Thankfully, we're never exposed to it. In game three, I was too busy panicking that we were a man down to even think at that level. But um, there's a lot. There's a lot of good in this French side, and those those core guys nine, uh, fifteen, and the back row and the front row. I think that's that. That's like you know that's the foundation, and we haven't even got all of them here. So yeah, a very strong team, and one I'd like to see us play at least once more before we face them in a World Cup knockout situation. Yeah, especially when they had someone like Dupont um, in there as well, marshalling his troops around the field. So, obviously, this series decided only by three points overall. Um, a close one, an entertaining one by all means. When you now think that the next game we're playing is our first blood is low in Auckland, in Eden Park, versus this uh, All Blacks team that Definitely hasn't been challenged to the same extent, maybe for a half first Fiji last week, but this week they won 60 to 13, a much more dominant display. Um, and then obviously running rampant against Tonga a few weeks ago as well. Do you think this helps us? Do you think the All Blacks will be fresher having not been challenged with this? What, what side do you fall on? Is this a good thing that we've had such a close series or is it a bad thing that we haven't just got to get our confidence up and run rampant over teams? Well, I think I think you learn more when when the competition is close, when times are tough, when not everything's working. So to get away with wins, and and not not get away with them in the sense that you know the the opposition just kept spilling the ball over the line or missed all their penalty kicks, and so it was really their them losing the new winning. Like we've had to win these games. We've won two out of three and been so close in the second. You could say the exact opposite or say the exact same thing for the opposite side. The French have been so close and only got one. I think that's a positive because again, we, we've had to we've had to play in that situation of desperation, the man down, um, and and the men, the the mental strength you get from getting through an event like that, knowing that you can find find the extra energy and that that extra level to to contest against a side that's really testing you uh, for 75 minutes. Like, that's really important. And, and again, it being close means there's a lot to analyse, there's a lot of things to look at. Like, we, we, we were very good. We were very good at keeping the ball. We were very good at um, playing our numbers game once we were down to 14 men in this last game. The things we haven't seen, we haven't seen, like, consistent, um, you know, consistent attack, using the forwards, transitioning into the backs, expansive play, skill execution, like all those things have been slightly lacking. So I guess that worries me that when the next when we will front up for the next game, it's an all-blacks team in Eden Park where 
if you don't nail all those opportunities, you just can't win. Like mm. you've got to you've got to outscore them. You can defend them, but you know they're going to score a lot of points regardless, um, especially at home. And our setup and our tactics, I think, will be smart enough, and will be we'll, we will have a strategy for these games that can win. It's execution. Um, I just really want to see uh, the guys execute the skills and those combinations form so that you can kind of see the minds working in unison and it doesn't look as disjointed as it has at times. Mm. Um, we need to be instinctively falling into our positions um, in defence and in attack. So I think it's a good series to have before the All Blacks because it's tested us. We've got the, the momentum of a win. We've got the positivity of a win um, under duress. But, I mean, nothing prepares you for an all-black side who are going to be very, very strong. And um, I don't think it matters that they've only played teams that are a tier or two below. Um, they've got the form coming out of Super Rugby Atarawa. They've got the form coming out of Trans-Tasman. They've got the form coming out of last year. They've, yeah, they've, they've got all the advantages. It's, it's for us to catch up to them. And they're going to be a bit healthier, a bit more experienced. They've got the likes of Joe Moody off of Tuanga Farsi coming back into the squad um, to shore up their front row stocks. Uh, Sam Kane won't be fit for this one, but they are bringing back in TJ Perinara as well as Asafa Amur as well um, into the squad as well. So a few key men coming back into it to build a bit more depth. Uh, unfortunately, that does push out the likes of Finlay Christie. Um, Who has been good. Sam Sony, Tucky, like I hope, from the solid. Chiefs who got a double off the bench on the weekend. Yeah, so a um, few disappointments for them. They'll, they'll be hanging around as uh, sort of just-in-case players in the squad um, but may not get to see any time there. For Fiji, um, unfortunately, a less polished performance this weekend. Uh, all, maybe All Blacks are a bit more ready for them then. They didn't give them sort of any of the extra space in this. And they really hammered them hard early. Very physical game in any case, but still I think just shows that in Fiji just needs some time to put together and, and a bit more time touring together to try and build some of those combinations because when they get it right, they get it so right. But unfortunately that um, lack of consistent playing time means you do get performances like this as well. Samoa took down Tonga again to lock in their... T- um, spot for the Rugby World Cup in 2023, 37-15. to 15. Tonga now will have to play their way in through some of the qualifying tournaments. So unfortunate for them, but well done to Samoa then there as well. Um, once again, I keep highlighting some of the Australian teams, but um, Stacey Ely had a nice little pick-up and sprint um, to get a try in this one for Samoa, um, which was impressive from that man, Rebels man. Argentina took down Wales in Cardiff in their second test in a row, um, 33 to 11. So that's impressive for Argentina. Obviously, some of the Welsh players missing from that. Going over to the British and Irish Lions, the Springboks went down to the Bulls this weekend um, in what was, I guess, a much more of an understrength team compared to what the Springboks A team put out against the Lions um, last week. So there's there's a little bit of panic across sort of from different journalists about that but I think you'll find that there'll be a vastly different team when they line up against the Lions next weekend while the Lions got back to winning ways against the Stormers 
Um, Marcus Smith, the Harlequins, 10 that's been flown over for the injury of Finn Russell, um, made his first sort of debut for the Lions there, had some exciting sort of moments. Um, very exciting player. If you do get a chance to have a look at those highlights, you'll see him um, making a few runs, dummying and setting up some good ball there. Um, and Alan Wynne-Jones has somehow returned from his dislocated shoulder versus Japan to become back and get some playing time in this game and try and make himself um, as available as he can for Gatlin to pick him probably along with Atoje in the second row um, for our opening test next week. That's just wild. Like he's come back in, I think, sub three weeks from an injury yeah. that's nominally four plus and, and you wouldn't expect people to be, um, I suppose, competing at the level of a no, the, no know, British and Irons Lion, British and Irish Lions tour squad against a tough team like South Africa. So, yeah, man, if he can if he can pack down and put on some hits um, and prove that shoulder's ready to go, I don't know if he's on some amazing well, painkilling injections a pre-game. He's five-year-old as well. Like he's not. He's not. Oh, that just really means he's developed a real, you know, real talent for for healing. Is that oh, more okay. experience healing more than experience, anyone else? Yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's subjected his body to so much healing over time that now he's like really good at it. It's a special talent of his. That's it. I think Win Jones is probably just going to grit his teeth and be like, this is my last hurrah. Like True. I'm not going to let anything stop me and whatever. I don't even know what's legal in in t- the test rugby level, like how many painkilling injections they're allowed to have. But um, he's the sort of guy who's just, you know, he's there for his team. He's such a warrior. He's hopefully not compromising his longer term <laughs> health to 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 just get in and jabbed up and and play in these games. But you know that's what that's the decisions these guys are confronted with, like to to be made to be to be fit for these games and just to just to go and give it all for their for their side. Um, what a worry! Just like really impressive. I, I hope if he does come back and he starts starting for the team and gets his run he doesn't suffer a setback like it'd be nice to get him to um, actually play it out and, and not fall away again having made that effort to come back so that kicks off this weekend uh late on the 24th um out of cape town the Springboks first test birth the british and irish lions what do you i know you probably haven't seen too much um of these guys have been playing sort of at the same time in these sort of small club matches it's hard to know what the right combinations are going to be for the Springboks as well as for the British and Irish Lions. I feel like Gatlin's got a few decisions to make there, but what are you feeling this first game um, down there in Cape Town? Oh, look, I, I think amazing as it is that the South Africans still um, have such a, a core of their World Cup winning side. They have a lot of experience playing in, the, in that, um, that combination. So I... I think they've proved through their um, the South Africa A side that was, you know, almost entirely a Springbok side. Like they've proven that they've still got it. Sure, there might have been some games going on there with not not showing the full hand or um, Razzie coming out and just trying to blitz um, the lines and throw them off their their plans. But I think the box have um, the side. They've obviously got the home field advantage. The Lions may be plagued a little bit or at Gatland at least with who should we pick? What's what style of game are we going to take in this first game? I think it's more likely than not that the South Africans take this one. 
Um, but mm. I think they will need to give it absolutely everything. They'll need to show their full hand um, and that will then provide Warren Gatlin with more information upon which to base his, his next set of selections. Because if he if he plays too conservative, if he, if he puts um, uh, Farrell in and, and, and just looks to contain and it doesn't work, then um, I think he'll pivot. Um, you know, remember he's coming off, this running's coming off with the Chiefs last year and he's had some um, tricky moments. He's had to navigate with, with un, an unsuccessful side full of talent, second-guessing himself. Um, I, I think I think that it'll be better off for the game one run. I think the South Africans take it and then the Lions provide a, a better balanced side for game two and it's more of a contest. Yeah. And I, th- I think you hit the nail on the head with sort of those, some of those key positions. Um, I think more or less is sort of front row is pretty set with the likes of Furlong, um, Cowan Dickey and maybe Sinclair is there as well. As I said, Atoje's at least one lock. It's got to work out between some of the big Irish boys or whether Alan Wynne Jones gets in there as well. Back row is still very up for grabs. I'm not really sure where he's going to go. I think other than maybe Tom Curry being in there somewhere um, just because he's so um, potent at a- any of the back three positions there. You've got um, to have someone who's on the ball. In, against South Africa, yeah. like you've got to you've got to disrupt their ruck. You've got to contest at their ruck and make them commit more guys because they're they're ferocious at the ruck. They've got enough players that can pilfer. You need to disrupt that, and you need to put similar pressure back on them. That's right. But you also need some big boys in the back row as well. So I think whether he's going to put like Courtney Laws or something in at six or some of the bigger guys um, at the back there, because whether he's going to be able to risk putting Hamish Watson in there. Um, being sort of a, that smaller body. I know that he sort of has proven himself that he can be effective, but also I feel like he could just be targeted by um, those big spring box to just absolutely smash him early in the game and make him very much less potent. And then, yeah, and then if you... Are you going to go the um, attacking presence of maybe a bigger in there or I don't think he's going to go straight for a Marcus Smith straight up in this series um, and you've lost your sort of probably most potent attacking weapon in Finn Russell at 10 there. So whether you go Farrell there or you put him in at 12, Elliot Daly, I think there's been their um, standout sort of for the centres at the moment, but I'm not really sure what their best set up there. As well as the back three, they've got multiple different options of who they're going to put in from the tri-scoring antics of Adams and Van der Merwe. Um, But then you have the stalwart of someone like Stuart Hogg, even with his um, pretty gross bleached haircut at the moment. Um, yeah, so a lot of questions there. I'm excited to see what, what team they put out on the park, but I think they've got a very tough sledding, but they've got to go hard straight off the bat. So who do you think is their best pivot option, knowing that Finn Russell's out? Like, I'm inclined to go bigger because I think you get you get a few more um, strings of the bow. I, I don't think Farrell's is um, dynamic, but, I mean, that might just be my strong bias against the English <laughs> coming through and my, my love for the Welsh. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. And I think it's not only who's your best 10, but it's who's your best 12. And like, they've, they've had um, like Bundy Arkey around in there. They've sort of had um, Henderson and things as well. Um, they've had, sorry, Henshaw, not Henderson in there as well. I just don't know whether those guys are playing well enough and whether you're going to end up doing the classic move Farrell to 12 and then play yeah. bigger and Farrell. 
I think but I can see that happening because you need yeah. you need someone smart at twelve. Like the South Africans, they they might be sort of seen superficially as just big, brutish, hard running, but they are smart. These guys are well drilled and smart, and um, you need someone who's going to read read the attack well. And it, it can't just be someone at ten calling out further wide. You need your twelve to be really on som, and your thirteen to just be an absolute warrior to cop all these lines they're going to run at you. So. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if that's what they do. I feel like they they and and that might be the compromise. You've almost gone. Oh, I think we'll be able to cover all avenues with this combination, and you might sacrifice a bit of um, attacking dominance by doing that. It'll just be very interesting to see if that bears out to be the best way to contain the South Africans, or if they can't be contained and you just need to try and keep up. Yeah, and I don't know even know who the Springboks are going to have at 12. Are they going to go just to, like, DLN day um, and just have a big body that's just going to run at those 10 and 12 sort of line and just continue to try and smash them or whether they're going to go somewhere like France Dane or someone um, and have there as also a, a big a body. Option. Also a big body, but maybe not. it's just not going to be just a straight-up battering ram all game. Um, and the other big question for the Springboks is if they're going to have Khaleesi um, back because he's sort of off in isolation. Is he going to be ready for this um, first test or not? Yeah, I mean, they've got some really solid back rowers, but it's hard to replace that leadership. That's your World Cup winning captain and, um, yeah, absolute warrior, massive ball carrier, really, really good supporting the backs out wide, um, very vocal, respected, like, yeah, huge player for them. Uh in the interest of seeing the best possible contest, I would like to see him back um, so that we, yeah, we see these guys at full strength. It'd be a shame to, to have each team compromised at different points and, and feel like we didn't get the full contest. Yeah, that's right. All right, we'll leave it there. Um, so we'll be a bit more on and off these next couple of weeks, just with the British and Irish Lions being the only real sort of action happening at the moment as we build up to... Bledisloe Cup and Rugby Championship time, which I absolutely cannot wait for getting to see Corabidi back there um, on the 7th of August in Eden Park. I'm very glad that we get to see that man and he's not going to end up with any sort of suspension. We should see a Wallabies sort of finalised Rugby Championship squad um, announced, so we'll see if there's any big changes from them, but I don't expect a huge amount of difference oh, that we've seen. He said something. He said something to um, Rennie, mate. He's not going to make it in now. He needs to go send send some chocolates over to Rennie, and hopefully, and get back in his good graces. Make sure you are following us on the Running Rugby Podcast at Instagram or at Running Rugby Pod on Twitter for any of these extra news that come up, and we'll make sure to get you those British and Irish lines and Springboks lineups to you um, as soon as we see them a bit later in the week. Have a late one on Saturday night to maybe catch this Cape Town clash or make sure you watch the replay on Stan Sport, obviously on demand there. Um, Just been so impressed with what they've been putting together and there's more and more games popping up every week for you to watch on that platform as well. Make sure you are subscribed to us, guys, and reach out if you have anything you want us to talk about, you think we've missed out. Um, make sure to have your voice heard on those social media platforms. Other than that, guys, keep on running. Run.